I'm Harry. I'm Nash, and this week we're going all the way from the 29th of January to the 4th of February. Nash, tell me, what are you speaking about this week in history? This week in history, I'm exploring the assassination of Mahatma Gandhi. Huge. January 30th. Okay. 1948. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. There's one that, that sounds good. Now when I go to <laughs> pub trivia on a Tuesday night, I'll know. I feel like this is the ultimate show that will just sort of make sure you've covered all your bases yeah. for pub trivia as far as history segment goes. It's also great for just cocktail parties. Like, I go to cocktail parties now. I'm like, hey, guys, you'll never guess what happened on the 31st of January, 1605. And everyone's like, oh, tell us, Harry, tell us what. I'm that I'm guy like, in the office yeah. now who's like... Oh, did you know on this day? Yeah. I'm that guy. I feel like I actually That's know... okay. I know more. I know is, more. It's probably the point yeah. of this. What are you going to help us to learn about this week? I'm going to help you learn all about Guy Fawkes, or rather his death, which happens on the 31st of January, 1606. Oh, a killer episode. The death of Gandhi and the death of Guy Fawkes. Yeah, one we're happy about... The other we're less happy about. <laughs> You'll only find out at the end of the episode which one is which. Which one will it be? <laughs> There is no cause for which I am prepared to kill. Whatever they do to us, we will attack no one, kill no one, but we will not give our fingerprints, not one of us. So, January 30th, 1948. It's an early evening in Delhi. It's very hot. And you're outside. When is it not hot in Delhi? I don't know. Um, <laughs> even in winter, it's like 30 degrees. It just struck me to think about the heat yeah. of the environment because it's quite warm here in Sydney at the moment. So I figured, why don't we place you there yeah. in your mind's eye? I'm feeling, I'm feeling the heat. So <laughs> in the evening, January 30th, 1948, outside a mansion, okay, a crowd has gathered to see an old man. Mm. And the old man, he's walking up the crowd. Another man steps out from the crowd bows before the old man and fires three shots, bang, 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 straight into his chest. I know I'm not meant to, I'm not meant to find this funny. But <laughs> just bows, the way that I said it was funny. Who bows and then kills someone? Like, well, that's actually really interesting. We'll get into that. Okay. So, so who was the old man? Who was he? Mahatma Gandhi. And who was the younger man? This guy called Nathram Godzi. So Nathram Godzi, he kills Gandhi. He does indeed. So you might be wondering, why would anybody want to kill Gandhi? I mean, he's, he's Gandhi, right? Yeah. Well, it actually turns out there's quite a few reasons. In fact, it was one of those recurring themes in his life. He actually survived five assassination attempts throughout his life. That's pretty impressive. It was the sixth one that got him, though. Uh. So (laughs) there's a lot to unpack here. And for the sake of brevity, we're going to sweep with some pretty broad strokes. That's okay. Okay, cool. So let's let's, let's start with Gandhi himself. Um, So at the ripe old age of 18, Mm. Gandhi, he set sail in 1888 to England to become a lawyer, which is right. a little known fact about Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah. Because generally people that are lawyers don't have souls. Are so. evil. Yeah. 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 Bad luck for you then, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, snap. <laughs> Better get rid of that then. Yeah. So it's, I find it interesting, like it's a little known fact that, you know, Gandhi, the non-violent, modestly dressed guy, he actually stayed to become a lawyer in England. Yeah. And thankfully for history, Gandhi actually didn't make a very good lawyer. Okay, so he comes back from England and he tries to practice law in India and he fails at it pretty miserably. He isn't able to actually speak in front of a court. He's too nervous, too timid of a lawyer. So he's not, the law That's, thing isn't working out for him. It's like, don't quit your day job to become a lawyer. Just become one of the most motivational people in the entire world and history of Earth. Exactly. But it's a long road to there. Yeah. So To freedom? That's next week. (laughs) Um, So he's pretty bummed out, but he catches a break. 
and he actually gets a job as a lawyer in South Africa. Ah. Yeah. So, in April 1893, Gaida goes off with his family to the South African colony of Natal. Now, this may not surprise you, but colonial South Africa was a horrible place. Really? I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. So, pretty much the instant Gandhi sets foot in South Africa, his family and him are met with the full force of systemic racial oppression. So, Indians... At, this isn't apartheid yet, but it's obviously not great. It's still not great. So, Indians and Africans alike, they're denied the right to vote, to own property, and even in some cases to walk on the street. So, the most famous example of the oppression that Gandhi faced when he arrived in South Africa was when he was thrown from a train carriage after refusing like to physically give up, picked like up physically thrown. thrown from a train carriage after refusing to give up his uh, space to a uh, European traveller. Similar because, to um, Rosa Was Park, it because actually. he didn't have the correct concession card for his Opal? Because <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Gandhi came into South Africa... Uh, a little bit naive. He bought himself first-class tickets thinking, of course I'm going to buy tickets to a train. I'm a person. I can go on a train. And this European traveler was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing up here in first class? Get down to third class where you belong. Calls up the train inspector or whatever guy. He throws him off the train. And this is seen to be the moment where many historians point to as the watershed moment for Gandhi, where he decides, am I going to take this? Am I going to pack up my bags and go home to India? Or am I going to resist yeah what does he do well he resists I can't imagine we'd even know who Gandhi was yeah I mean that's, that, that was resist. a pretty silly question went, went I, home to yeah, India. He resi- obviously he resisted he resists and he got. he comes back the next day gets on the train and he rides first class good as, as, as he should. should so it was in South Africa that Gandhi develops his political and spiritual outlook and the method of non-violent resistance right. it's called Satyagraha what was that sorry Satyagraha I'm going oh. to There'll right. be plenty more times for me to mess it up throughout the course oh, of the I'm podcast. Oh, I'm very excited. So it sort of means truth and firmness. It's okay? like pacifism. Well, yeah, it's it's not just like, a, it's it's rooted in non-violence, but mm. it's, you're protesting the violence and the oppression of other people by leading by example, essentially. Okay. But you I'll, have to be willing to sacrifice, you know, your own safety to meet your political ends. I'll do it. Where do I sign up? Change.org. In some ways, you're kind of doing it right now. Really? You're just sitting there doing nothing. But it's a bit more involved than that. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay. In some more real ways, you're not doing it at all. Yeah, I, I reckon that's probably more <clears throat> the case. Yeah. yeah. So there were a ton of cases where Gandhi rallied the Indian masses within South Africa to reject the subjugation of the white ruling class through Satyagraha. So 1906, the government instilled this law where Indians needed to register in South Africa. In South Africa, they needed to register their fingerprints. It was very oppressive. Uh, Of course, whites didn't have to do it. 1907, uh, there was a law passed that restricted the movement of Indians between provinces of South Africa. So they had to stay there. Like, why not go back to India and not be... Well, yeah, look, I mean, the path of least resistance is to go home, right? Yeah. Or just to to pack in, but it's... Or literally anywhere else. But if you weren't to defy these sort of injustices, we would still be living in a world where they would be occurring, at least on a, that sort of mass scale. Right. So they're not occurring. The way that we overcome these problems is by res- through resistance. I guess that's that's why. Okay. Makes I mean, sense. but I mean, it he takes like it a takes a very guy. sort of like hard. It takes a strong moral character to execute on that for sure. Mm. I think in March 1913, you had the South African Supreme Court ruling that they would not recognise Hindu and Muslim marriages within South Africa as well. Sounds like a delightful time to be around. Yeah, just 
peachy. So yeah. each of those examples of racial injustice was ultimately dismantled and overcome, not through force or taking arms or coordinated attacks or anything, but through Satyagraha, this right. non-violent resistance. So this is, again, another consistent theme throughout Gandhi's life. It's like this kind of socio-political jujitsu where the harder the colonialists fought back, the less tenable their position came. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. By not resisting the force that was enacted upon them seemed that much more unjust mm. and sort of made people more angry and more willing to protest. I'm furious. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we come to Speedhead, 1915. Yeah. Gandhi leaves South Africa and he returns to India at last. Finally. He hasn't okay. packed it in, but he's realised his work is, is effectively done in South Africa. He needs to turn his focus. <laughs> uh, little did he know. <laughs> little did he know. <laughs> he, done, he did what he could, but he decided to turn his focus to help his people in his yeah, homeland. help your own backyard in first. India. Now, here's an important bit of context for you. At this point, India had been under... European rule for over 200 years. British okay? mandate, as they say. Yeah, so it was the British who were in charge. What's even more staggering is that about 3 million Indians bow to only about 100,000 British. So as you can imagine, this is where Gandhi would turn his attention when he returned. Yeah. So he joins the Indian National Congress, takes leadership by 1920, and as was the case in South Africa, he deploys the Satyagraha to combat the systematic oppression that was going on in India, using this non-violent resistance to stop and obviously it happening. Obviously, it's working. Well, in bits and pieces. Okay. The road to Indian independence is punctuated with moments of triumph and sacrifice. But well, as with all roads to something that's important. Yeah, exactly. It's not easy. I think maybe the best example of this is Gandhi's famous Salt March, which was in 1930. And see, salt was used by everyone in mm. India. Rich, poor, it didn't matter. It was so that you could sort of retain the water that you lost by sweating out so much because you didn't have those electrolytes, right? Um, <laughs> so you're, what you're telling me like, is that all Indians were keen on Brondo, the thirst mutilator. <laughs> they, they love their uh, uh, Gatorade over there. Yeah. yeah. All them electrolytes. Yeah. Plants love electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the British had the monopoly on the production of salt and it was illegal for Indians to produce their own salt as well, right? Right. So, but everyone needs it. But everyone needs it. So it was a perfect symbol for an act of defiance. Mm. Gandhi organises this march. He walks from Amenabad to Dandy, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, Dandy. Oh, isn't that Dandy? Yeah. yeah. Um, to make some salt for himself, right? And the march, he's joined by thousands of people along the way on the march over 30 days. It garners tons of international attention, increasing the profile of Gandhi within India and across the world. The British ruling class, the Raj, they respond by locking up Gandhi and 60,000 other people, right? Yeah. Well, actually, so imprisonment is actually a, a, another theme in Gandhi's life. He was yeah, imprisoned, he was imprisoned 13 heaps. times. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, six times in South Africa, seven times in India. The yeah. 13th and final time was in 1942 in August after he gave a speech in Mumbai advocating that the British should quit India. They should... He was fully in support of, like, an independent so this is, India. this is his 13th arrest. Yeah. Obviously, their recidivism program is not working very well. <laughs> well, he actually manages to uh, get out of jail this time because of an ailing... Ailey's ailing health. Oh, okay. And the, the British Raj were like, look, we can't have the political, cultural, spiritual leader of India die in prison. Mm. Then we'll be totally lost, right? Yeah. So they release him in 1944... It's really interesting, though, because his ailing health was, I'm sure, because he was fasting all the time. 
Possibly. I'm not sure whether he was fasting in prison at, at that time, but he would continue to he fast did, outside of prison He did fast as in well. prison in the past. I just noticed yeah. from general mm, mm. knowing this, but he's really good at getting into prison and fasting. That's like his <laughs> superpowers. He could get into prison fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets out of prison in 44. The Second World War is still going, but after decades of resistance, it looked as though the British Raj would possibly yield and grant India its oh, independence. This is big. It sounds pretty good, right? Well, it's not quite, because the issue is that not everyone sees an independent India in the same way. So Gandhi and the National Congress, they advocate for a unified secular India, mm. whereas others champion this two-nation theory, which is sort of built upon this belief that an Indian's national identity should be determined by their religion. And at the time, right. Hinduism and Islam were the two largest religions within British India. So, the, and there was Hindus and Muslims who supported this two-nation theory. And in the end, suppose that the two-nation theory succeeded. August 14 to 15, 1947, saw the petition of British India and the creation of the dominions of India and of Pakistan. Oh! Yeah, yeah. There's the, you know, mic drop moment. Yeah. Yeah. Is that why India and Pakistan hate each other so much? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the worst is yet to come. So this was obviously not a clean break. No, not at all. The, this is like, you're still texting them after you've just broken up being like, you sure? Yeah, man. No, not sure. And then, <laughs> you know, it's 2am, they call you up. You're like, well, all right, well, I, I guess we better do this. It's like you left your dog at your ex's house mm. and you go to get it, uh, oh, essentially. You can't That's, leave it there. Yeah, it's it's. But they don't want to give it back. No, it's their dog now. Exactly. So this was not a clean oh. break at all. The petition displaced tens of millions of people within the Indian subcontinent, who found themselves refugees, and they, they found themselves on the wrong sides of of, of a religious line. Jeez. Right. It sparked riots. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed, and refugees were made out of millions. So Gandhi's approach to the violence and the unrest was to deploy. Non-violence, non right? And for him to undertake some um, fasts, fasts of deaths, essentially saying, look, I'll sit here and not eat and starve myself to death until you stop fighting. And to some extent, this worked. But to others, really? this looked like he wasn't doing anything. It looked as yeah. though he didn't care. It looked as though like, was are you kidding chair, me? Like, what are you doing, making man? Making a podcast, essentially. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. not doing anything for the world. Just sitting there. So one of those people who were angered by this mm. was... I'm sure there was many. No, there was many. Yeah. One of them was Nathuram Godsey. Right? Of course. We've come full circle. We've come now. full circle here. So I had no idea that they split up though. That's still I'm still boggled by that. Yeah, I mean this is a theme of the British that's going around like mucking up stuff for for people all around <laughs> Ruining the world. Everything. <laughs> so and they're so small. Like I know, it's crazy. Uh, it's it's actually yeah, it's kind of interesting. Well so, it's very interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. So essentially this guy, he hates Gandhi. He used to respect Gandhi, but Fundamentally, Nathuram Godzi was a Hindu nationalist. He was a Hindu first and foremost. He cared mm. about Hindus, right? And what he saw with the split of India and Pakistan was the suffering of Hindus. And he thought that because Gandhi advocated nonviolence, right, not enough was being done to help the Hindus who were, you know, um, displaced, displaced and, and being killed. Um, so he thought, if I kill Gandhi, then we won't have to be nonviolent anymore. Great rationale. I'm going to use violence to kill a guy that's non-violence to end 
more violence and yeah. then use more violence to end the violence. It's a little bit ironic, but essentially he believed that violence could be used in a just and moral way to provide, you know, a, a, a utopia, essentially, I suppose. Right, how'd that work out for him? Well, he shot Gandhi. This brings us to our date in history, January 30th, 1948. He shoots Gandhi in the chest three times and he gives himself up. He pleads guilty and he uses his guilty testimony to justify his causes right to Good one, preach his message and it's actually banned his testimony is banned by the Indian government because they believe that it's actually going to sway people over to his way of thinking um, but uh, yeah long must have been a good testimony it must have like... been pretty good yeah so long story short Gandhi was killed by nothing I'm good see because he thought that it was going to end the violence it was a little bit ironic in that yeah, sense yeah surely he should have learned by you know that point in history 1948 that violence solves very little don't you get taught that in UK like what's he doing remember remember the 5th of November the gunpowder treason and plot 31st of January 1606 mm. this is the day that Guy Fawkes the infamous Guy Fawkes he dies yeah, okay, cool. See, here's the thing. I thought he wasn't real. Guy Fawkes? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was, like, part of the Marvel universe. Really? Is, is that technically what, like, V for Vendetta he's from? Or Marvel? I don't think V for Vendetta is Marvel. Oh, wow. I've, 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 I'm, butchered, he's not a superhero. Please he's don't a- Please don't use my name on Reddit, anyone who's listening to this. <laughs> yeah, wow. That was <laughs> just so far. So V for Vendetta is based on a real person, okay. Guy Fawkes. He's the inspiration for Remember, Remember the 5th of November. But the actual V for Vendetta film isn't about Guy Fawkes, if that makes sense. It's not about what happened in 1605. All I know is that Natalie Portman is great in that movie. And every movie. Okay, but you had no idea. You thought it was a Marvel movie. Like, you are so far off. Well, okay. Can I tell you a bit about him? Please, please. Don't let me embarrass myself anymore. (laughs) Guy Fawkes, he was a Catholic. Okay. And this is important because in the early 1600s, Catholics were being a bit persecuted yeah, right. by the Protestants because, as we know, Henry VIII, he was the one that wanted the divorce. So he decided, hey, I'm going to create my own sect of Christianity called being a Protestant. Yeah. Yeah. Screw you, the Pope. I'll be the head of the church. Thank you very much. And I'll divorce whoever the hell I wish. And he did it very well. He divorced a lot of people. And mm. his lineage of kings essentially continued being Protestant. And so the Catholics weren't having a good time of it. Uh, Essentially, the Church of England uh, sought out Catholics and and made it harder for Catholics to be Catholic. They were trying to convert them to Protestantism and, you know, being a part of a united faith under the king and this new Church of England. Yeah. Um, So Guy Fawkes, he was a Catholic. In a time where Catholics... Weren't having a great time. Weren't having a great time. Okay. And essentially his thought was, what's a good way to have a good time as a Catholic? Make Catholicism... Well, I mean, yeah, pray to our God, Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. Confess your your sins. But also, kill the king and put Protestantism back in the uh, in, in the back seat. Back put, in the back. Put Catholicism in the front seat. Oh, okay, so to restore the, the rightful place for... As it should be. A Catholic the, nation, uh, right? okay. You know, the OG Christianity, Catholicism. <laughs> That's what we want. That's all he wanted, right? Yeah, okay. So, what's interesting is... He tried to kill the king of England. That's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> Did we say that already? No. That's oh. why I'm saying it's interesting. <laughs> because okay. he wants to kill the king of England. 
Okay, so King James the first. The way to, to get rid of the Protestants in power is to kill King James the first and install what a Catholic king. Yeah, yeah, or rather a Catholic queen. Oh, now everyone thinks that Guy Fawkes is the guy responsible for this plot. Uh, so a lot of people know the plot of trying to kill the king and. I mean, it doesn't work, but he tries to kill the king, okay. and that's his idea. But So it is his idea? His idea is part of a group. He's actually part of a group of 13 men, okay. himself included, but it's not led by Guy Fawkes. Okay. The leader is this guy called Robert Catesby, and his fellow partners are part of the plot to kill the king. So it's Robert Catesby, John Wright, Thomas Wintour, Thomas Percy, a whole bunch of people, 13 of them, and Guy Fawkes. Sure, okay. So they devise a plot. And what is this plot? The plot is kill all the Protestants, put in the queen, the daughter of the king. Kill all the Protestants? They want yep. to have a genocide? All the Protestants. Okay. And by all the Protestants, they mean the, 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 big, the big deals. Obviously not every single one. Like if you're at home having a nice meal, they're not going to kill you. But if you're the king of England <laughs> and, you know, a member of the House of Lords and a Protestant, you're probably going to be on the hit list. Okay. You know, you're not in a good position. You're not yeah. safe. And they wanted to put Queen Elizabeth, the daughter of the king, who was actually the middle child of, of King James I. They wanted to kidnap her and then force her to be a Catholic. And then... Voila, you have the queen who's a Catholic. Yeah, right. Okay. I can see like it's just not a thing that would have ever happened. No, look, I don't know how much they thought it through. I don't know why they thought kidnapping the queen was going to then make Catholicism the next sect of Christianity that would rule England, but they thought it would. Well, here's a funny thing for me. Like if at the time Elizabeth wasn't a Catholic herself, what Mm. made them think that they could convert her to Catholicism? Kidnapping her. That yeah, was that was it. I don't know. I mean, like, does everyone who gets kidnapped become a Catholic? I think maybe they were hoping for a <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. You know, you're with your captors so long. They're like, oh, I was Protestant, but now I'm a Catholic. after being captured, wouldn't mind being a Catholic. Actually, that sounds quite nice. Yeah, right. Okay. The plot is right. This is their plan to blow up the House of Lords on the fifth of November, sixteen o five. Sure. Killing King James and all and why be under government as as much as the Parliament as possible. Okay. So the aim was to get Guy Fawkes into the cellar, be undetected, blow up two tons, two tons of gunpowder. There is debate as to whether two tons of powder that was a bit decaying would have actually blown up as much as they thought it would have. Um, a lot of people say no. Some people say, yeah, it could have happened. Maybe. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Doesn't matter. It didn't happen anyway. You know? <laughs> I love to see the lax like historian out there or the lax academics like, eh, I don't, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It should be fine. And in conclusion, eh. <laughs> that is the end of my 15,000 word thesis. I'd love to read that thesis. Oh, it'd be great. Uh, it'd start off being with like, so this thing happened. I'm sure you know. So I'll just go to the conclusion. Yeah, so ipso, boom, 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 bing, bang, boom. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is why a lot of people thought Guy Fawkes was the ringleader, because he was the one that was going to be in the cellar blowing everyone up. Sure. Okay. So he was the one who was going to be the martyr. He was doing the deed. Okay. Yeah. He was definitely going to die. I hope he was aware of that. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't really matter if he wasn't. He died anyway. Well, but, we're still talking about it. Yeah, exactly. So what happened in reality was Guy Fawkes, he managed to get the two tons of powder, gunpowder, in the cellar. He's there in the cellar, but little to his knowledge, um, a couple of days before, an anonymous letter is sent to Parliament saying... Don't go to Parliament 
on the 5th of November, something bad's going to happen. So Parliament being, you know, smart people, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> they they heeded like, this warning. Yeah. And well, rather they said, let's check the cellars, check out the House of Lords, yeah. make sure everything's okay before we have our grand meeting. Yeah. So, of course, uh, this guy called Thomas Knevet, right? Mm-hmm. He is uh, the first Baron of Knevet. He yep. is one of the guards and he checks a cellar. And who does he find hiding in a cellar with two tons of gunpowder? None other than the very famous... Your boy, Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes. So he's arrested. Surprise, surprise. But instead of just, like, killing him straight away, they say, hey, he's probably part of a bigger plot. Let's wipe out the entire plot. And Guy Fawkes is like, no, you'll never get a word out of me. But then they use this thing called... um, What's it called? I think it's called Uh, torture. Torture. Yeah. And that worked really effectively. They put him on a rack, (laughs) stretched him out, and after three days, he's like, I'll tell you whatever you need. Yeah, right. Which is impressive. Three days on a rack, I think, is more than I could do. I Just even the threat of torture would make me sort of buckle. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you anything right now. So if anyone wants Nash's bank account details, not that there's anything in there, but if you wanted it, (laughs) just threaten him with waterboarding. It's fine. That's the real torture. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) So he he ended up... Guy Fawkes ends up revealing... Everyone. Where they live, who they are, everything. So he's a rat. Yeah, he's a pretty pretty shit conspirator, really. That's interesting. Just... That's interesting that he would be, you know, mythologized in such a way that he's, I guess, an anti-hero. But he's essentially just a deserter. Well, I mean, that's the thing with his, with his legacy, and we'll get to that in a little mm. bit. But essentially, people are confused about whether or not they like Guy Fawkes. Because at the end of the day, he wasn't this great leader who tried to kill the king. He was part of a plot and literally the idiot that had to be in the cellar with the gunpowder. Yeah, well, he, it sounds like he just drew the short straw. Yeah, seriously. It's like, okay, guys, who wants to go and kill themselves? Oh, well, I guess... Oh, it's me. Oh, cool, blimey, mister. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, Pull the other eventually, one. after Guy Fawkes reveals everyone, mm. they all get hanged, drawn, and quartered. So this is a thing they did back then where they take you to the centre of town, they hang you to near death, and then they cut out your in- intestines, your heart, and quarter you into four different quarters and send you <laughs> off to different parts of the world and put your head on a spike. Oh. Yeah. But Guy Fawkes, he's like, he's seeing his fellow conspirators get killed. And he's like, you know what? I don't think I want this. So being the revolutionary, as we know and love, he is climbing up the steps to be hung and throws himself off the steps, breaking his neck and instantaneously dying. So instead of being hung to near death and seeing himself be essentially disemboweled, he uh, kills himself, which I think is pretty smart. And that's this day in history, the 31st of January, 1606. Guy Fawkes, he dies of his own affliction after ratting out the, the 12 other conspirators, oh, yeah. failing to kill the king and becoming oh, yeah. a good old martyr. Uh, but, okay, so this really raises the big question. Why is he even famous? Why is he famous? Because um, we all remember the 5th of November. Um, it was quite a, a popular day in the sense that you remember the day they tried to kill the king, they failed. King is great. Everyone loves King. Yeah, no, I get that. But why Guy Fawkes? I don't understand. Why have we sort of mythologized him? I don't understand. It's interesting. He's a loser. It's interesting. He is a bit of a loser. And but that, I think it, it gives me hope for myself. But like, <laughs> I think people from V for Vendetta, it's about, you know, going against the norms, being a revolutionary, trying to make the change you want to see in the world. So in, in recent history, groups um, have done attempted to do revolutionary stuff under the guise of Guy Fawkes, you know, wearing the mask from Viva Vendetta or doing it on the 5th of November. Um, So there was a hacker group called Anonymous that um, did 
stuff under the guise of Guy Fawkes and being revolutionaries, and then uh, the Occupy movement, which we all we all know. Um, yeah, Occupy that out, Wall Street, but they you know they used <laughs> Guy Fawkes as an inspiration. But yeah. essentially, he was the symbol of saying. If you want change in the world, you've got to do it. Not a great symbol because really he sucks. You know what's another reason why the Guy Fawkes mask is not a great symbol is yeah. because the Guy Fawkes mask, that image is copyrighted by Warner Brothers. So anytime <laughs> someone uses it, they they get a they get a little bit off the top. They'll get Weren't a they occupying there. Wall Street, which is like the head of capitalism? Yeah ironic yeah but yeah that's the story of guy fawkes and remember <laughs> remember the 5th of november when he failed and now it's a big celebration and how how do people celebrate he was there, i mean there's fireworks in britain and i guess people walk around with the mask but yeah yeah i think it's conflicted people are like happy that the king wasn't killed but also like hey he's a little bit of a revolutionary but i feel like if you know his true story you know he was just the poor guy that drew, drew the short straw all right sports fans it's time for Fast facts. Why sports fans? Well, what about all fans? Well, look, I mean, uh, I guess, yeah, I sort of exclude myself from that this segment, yeah. then. I'm not a sports can fan. I, can I try? Yeah, sure. All right, everyone that we love and everyone is equal. Ready for some fast facts. See, that's much more <laughs> inclusive. Now everyone wants to be part of it. Do you feel excluded? No, I exactly. No, I just feel like I don't want to be a part of it because it doesn't feel special. I don't care. Because if everyone's special, Harry, nobody is. All right, so tell us what happened <laughs> first in this week. Take me out to the game. January 29, 1936, the US Baseball Hall of Fame elects its first members. This is a big deal because they didn't have a Hall of Fame before. So how would you know who was good at baseball? Here's the thing. I know the Hall of Fame is like a proverbial Hall of Fame. There isn't a real Hall, but I always envisage... There is a real Hall. Is there? Yeah, in... <laughs> No, there isn't. In America, in Cooperstown, New York, there's a Hall of Fame. Okay. Well, what's in there? Baseball cards? No, like things about people that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay. So well, you'll have like tidbits about Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb, who of course were all some of the first people to be elected. Okay. So I'll admit, I was, I'm, I, I'm not a sports fan. So Really? I never got that from <laughs> the fact that you didn't know anything about NFL either. Uh, but yeah, thanks for letting us know. Thankfully, I know a bit about baseball. Okay. I know that there's over 300 people in this Hall of Fame, which okay. is quite a bit. But if you think about the fact that it's over well, nearly 80, over 80 years now, not that many people. In a Hall a- of Fame. 80 years of having had the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, even longer having baseball. But... Well, based off the notes I have in front of me, the Hall of Fame was around to celebrate the 100 years of baseball that came before. So I guess you have 180 years of, of stuff. So Yeah. Which is even less. So you've got to be pretty special. Yeah. Any Australians in the Hall of Fame? No. Of course not. <laughs> Only 30 Australians they have ever played Major League Baseball. No Hall of Famers? No. Someday. Doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> Youthquake. What do I think it means? Coming to February 1st, 1884. The Oxford Dictionary, it debuts. Now, the Oxford Dictionary, it was a big time in the making. So in 1857, they were thinking about making an up-to-date, error-free English dictionary, right? Yeah. That would cover all vocabulary. I'm talking every word. That's a huge undertaking. I'm just trying to get rid of all the duplicates in my iTunes at the moment. Yeah. Trying to catalogue every word? Oh my God. Well, it was going to be 6,400 pages. That's how big this dictionary was going to be. It was going to be four volumes. Yeah. And it would take about 10 years to finish. Oh my God. (laughs) In fact, it took over 40 years till the final bit of it was published. Right? So that's... That's... (laughs) 
past our date in history, you know? So the debuts already happened, but it was only finished. So it was debuted half finished. So they do like a, a soft launch of the dictionary and then they finally wrap it up 40 years after. Well, even then, it's not ever finished. Mm. And that brings us to 2017. Last year, in fact, where a new word... That's so weird saying, last year, 2017. I know. New words are added every year, and every year they choose the best word. And mm. uh, last year was youthquake. Youthquake is a noun that defines <laughs> a significant cultural, political, or social change arising from the actions or influence of young people. It's quite specific. But that was the, year, that was the word that this year was added to the English dictionary, Oxford Dictionary, that is known as the word of the year. I know what, like, I'd call that a headache. Yeah, that's a... That's a headache. That's right? insane. In, in 2016, <laughs> it was post-truth. Uh, but in 2015... Oh, great word, great word. 2015 is a good one. It wasn't a word. It was the first ever pictograph, which was the emoji oh. face with tears of joy. That oh, was wow, added okay. into the dictionary. I was, I was looking up the words the that's other day. That's a bit of a stitch-up. The poo emoji got snubbed, obviously. I, I Where's the eggplant? Who knows? So it got me thinking. Mm. Maybe we should actually see if these words are useful in everyday life. See if, you know, would you ever use youthquake in a conversation? I can tell you right now I wouldn't, but but, but I don't know about the other Oxford uh, words of the year. That's true. So there's only one way to find out, and that's through a video. You can check it out Ooh. coming up on Harry Nash's Facebook page real soon. Yeah, week. so Harry Nash, or also on Twitter, yeah. Harry Nash as well. And with that, it takes us to an end of another week in history. Join us back here next week as we take you back to a time before you were born. I was skeptical about ordering foundation online. I can't even find a match in stores. Then I discovered Il Maquillage. Their online quiz found my exact shade in seconds. With Try Before You Buy, you can try your full-size shade at home free for 14 days. But I was obsessed on day one. It's so lightweight and natural. It's literally my skin in a bottle. Take the quiz at ilmakiage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz.